and welcome to another episode of Arte Labore, a Blackburn podcast from the Lancashire Telegraph. A disappointing trip across the Pennines for Blackburn Rovers, beating 3-1 by Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. I'm Elliot Jackson and of course I'm joined by Ryan Hildred to talk through all the big talking points from Hillsborough. Ryan, hello, how are you? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. Um, football aside, I'm feeling more festive because we had some snow at the weekend, didn't we? And the Christmas tree went Have up. Have you put your was... tree up, I was going to ask? The tree is up. It was the 1st of December, so it made sense. Like um, if it was the 30th of November, I wouldn't have done it. So that's See, how the brain we, works. We put ours up um, a little bit. It's, my, my wife is very... Christmassy. She's a big Christmas head. I like Christmas as well for what it's worth, but she would happily like put the tree up in September, which way too soon for me. So I had some annual we had some annual leave um last week. So she wanted as part of her birthday, which always falls on is the twenty sixth of November, she wanted to put the tree up. And obviously it's Maya's first Christmas as well. So we went a little bit early and we did break into the back end of I think it was the twenty eighth, technically it went up, which is a little oh, bit I, I would prefer the week after. It's about 10 days too early for me. I think last weekend or even this weekend coming would be ideal in my world. 1st of December was good for us and and obviously it helped get over a disappointing weekend. So I'm feeling festive, but not in a footballing sense. Yes, I'd imagine the people listening to this podcast are probably slightly more interested in the football than the um, my marital tree disagreements. <laughs> uh, so we'll get started with events in S6. Obviously a disappointing end to the week for Rovers. A really good week beforehand. Obviously, six points from nine is not horrific. It's far from horrific, in fact, especially when you factor in all of the injury problems, which we're going to talk about, no doubt. But yeah, I thought it was a tired performance. It was a jaded performance. It was the most disjointed performance of the week. That said, they probably created enough chances to win the game, certainly get something out of it. It was a poor start. They they actually created a decent opening in the first sort of first couple of minutes, and then Dominic Iorfa went down with a, an injury and ended up getting subbed off, and that that took three or four minutes, and it just it just punctured the start of the game, and then pretty much straight from that, it's a very sloppy goal to give away, and I don't want to hone in too many too much on on individual errors, but there, there were like a couple of little bits in each one where everyone was probably five percent off it in the move, which culminates in a goal at championship level. You know, James Header is quite James Hill's header is quite loose. It's a poor header straight to Barry Bannon, who lifts it over the top of him for Josh Windass. Could Hayden Carter get out and stop the cross a little bit quicker? Again, it, we're talking small margins. And then the the movement from Bailey Kadamatri is really good, but Scott Wharton has got him as the ball's coming into the box and he gets in front of him to finish. So I don't think anyone particularly is at fault individually as in one person, but I think collectively everyone was probably two or three percent um apart from their sta- their their best standards and, and that ultimately cost you goals at championship. And and it was a poor start and, and five minutes in you one nil down the last thing that they really wanted with the Hillsborough crowd up on their uh, up on their feet. Yeah, it is the last thing we needed. And and last week on the pod, I predicted a 1-0 Rovers win because I thought that was the only way that Rovers were going to win the game to keep it tight and and obviously nick the goal because I was expecting a, a tired type of performance. And I can kind of let them off it because the injury list is obviously very long at the moment. Add Lewis Travis as, as the suspension as well. Just felt like a game too far for Rovers. So I can let them off the manner of the performance and the way that it was. And ultimately, a 1-0 win would have been just the perfect away performance in that sense. But 
Yeah, the worst possible start. You know, I think certainly based on recent form for Sheffield Wednesday, the table's obviously lying a little bit. The damage has been done early on in the season. So we knew it was going to be a tough game. And I said last week that whether it's, um, you know, League One or, or Premier League or Championship, you're always going to get a good atmosphere and a good game at Hillsborough. So that was the worst possible start. And I think those two errors that you, well, the one from James Hill and, and could Hayden Carter get out sooner, I think that ultimately is the reflection of a mentally tired performance. You know, physically they're in great condition, but mentally just that sharpness that you need. And from that moment, really, it was it was going to be difficult for us because we know that when Rovers do go 1-0 down, it's it's a tough position for us to be. So yeah, the worst possible start and yeah, not, not, a, great, not a great feeling at, at that point. No, absolutely not. Far from terminal, though, conceding with, with 90 minutes when you consider stoppage time to go as well. But the first half an hour was really poor. Sheffield Wednesday were on top. They pressed really high, which we'd seen in the game against Leicester that they played in midweek where they created loads of chances, didn't take them. Probably should have won that game in the end, only got a point from a 95-minute equaliser. And Yondal Thompson had spoke, you know, bigged up Wednesday before the game, spoken about how they're so much improved under Danny Rill, how they press really high and cause issues for the opposition. And Rovers, I don't think it was out of complacency or anything like that. I think they were just tired. I think they were just a bit off it. And they probably played Wednesday at the worst possible time across the season. You know, if they played Wednesday on any other match day earlier in the season, for example, they'd have wiped the floor with them. But it was the culmination of injuries striking, a bad um, tired legs after a three-game week and probably playing the opposition at their strongest as well. And when you consider what the squad looked like, right, on um, on Saturday, it was as if Jon had dropped, dropped in at a nursery before kickoff and picked up a load of kids to stick on the bench because, with no disrespect, you've got nine league starts amongst the subs. Five of those, Jake Garrett. Four of those, Dylan Marconde. You've got five players who hadn't made their debuts. Now, it's fantastic that these players are involved and that they're in and around the first team, but you want one or two on the bench. You you, you can't carry, you know, Gamble, Aitchison, Duru, Mont- Christian Montgomery was in the squad for the first time, Tom Bloxham, who came on very briefly at Plymouth, but is is very much an under-21s player. You can't carry that many players with such an experience at championship level, particularly in a free game week, and they just had no options to really change it. Sigurdsson, of course, has now got a groin injury that obviously we didn't speak to Jon after the game, but it's my understanding that they're, they're quite hopeful that's not serious, more he's sort of felt it in training on the Friday rather than shit, he's pulled it again and he's out for six weeks, for example. So obviously we'll get a, a, a more detailed update on Thursday or Friday from Jon, but yeah, the, the the bench and the squad, it's no surprise really that they were they were so tired and so disjointed in that first half an hour. No, and, and football clubs have squads for a reason and, and this is case in point, isn't it? And um, if I just reflect on someone like Adam Wharton, for example, I'm not saying that Adam Wharton necessarily had a bad game or was a standout bad performer at Hillsborough, but someone like Adam Wharton at the age that he is, I've got no doubt that his minutes would be managed a lot more had Jon had those options available to him. But with, you know, Travis suspended and some of the other injuries that we're carrying, the likes of Adam Wharton are having to plough three games into a week, which is probably a bit unnatural in a 20-year-old's development. So, you know, there are areas of the park where you could see that that tiredness and that lack of option was really biting us and, and that ability to freshen it up as well. You know, what could we have done on Saturday had... 
the likes of Ryan Hedges being available, for example, had Sam Gallagher been available, for example, these are good players to freshen it up at a tough place to go in Hillsborough. Add in the dynamic of winter as well. You know, it's just tougher to play in winter. You know, that's an absolute fact of life. These are tough places to go. It was bloody cold on Saturday as well. It was. So all roads just pointed to just, um, you know, a, a tough performance for, for Rovers. And yeah, the pleasing thing was, though, that despite all of that that we're talking about, we still were creating those chances. And, and that's a positive for me. So there is an element of as much as, yeah, some people are getting angry that Sheffield Wednesday are bottom and Rovers should be going there and winning if we're going to make the playoffs. I'm not reading it like that. Very I'm seeing the stick view to take that, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I'm seeing the fact that it's third game in a week for a very, very stretched squad and we've still managed to create some chances and maybe on a different day, maybe with a bit of luck, as we'll come on to a bit later on, maybe the result is different. Yeah, I thought Rovers definitely improved as the game wore on, as the half wore on, sort of the last 15 minutes of that first off, they did start to pepper the Wednesday goal. Hayden Carter with a really good effort on his left foot. I think a combination of Bambo Diaby and Cameron Dawson kept that one out. I thought it had gone in at the time. Sam Smolik's had a really good chance where he swivels really nicely from a Leonard cutback, doesn't catch hold of the shot and sort of drags it with his left foot. Dawson gets a foot out and saves it. I actually thought Rovers started quite slowly again after half time for sort of five, ten minutes, and then again started to build into the game. And about midway through the half, they get themselves level. Lovely ball over from James Hill. If you know, if you were going to attach any blame for the first goal, then he certainly atoned for it with that ball. Smodic's at the back post doing what he does best, scoring goals in the championship. That's 14 for the season. I think it's six in six in four in November he scored. Um, of course. Seven in five going into December, so he's just just in fantastic form. Obviously, signed the new contract as we discussed on the last episode, and from that point, it, it really looked like there was only one team that was going to go on and win the game. It was a goal of massive quality for me. Um, you've just drawn out the the James Hill cross there, which it's it's an absolute peach. You know that corridor of uncertainty that you talk about that the keeper ain't able to claim it, and it's just a brilliantly whipped ball in, but. I just want to signal out two bits of quality for me in, in terms of Sam Smodic. Uh, the first is that knack again to break free from a marker. Um, to be unmarked in that position, he's just timed that run when James Hill's crossing it and whoever was meant to be marking him isn't. So he should not be unmarked. And I think that is down to the ability that Sam Smodic has to, to lose his man, as we were talking about last week, to just another glowing reference in that regard. Then the header itself, you know, he's beyond that back post and that is not an easy header. He actually said post-match he thought he should have volleyed it, but he'd gone down early, so had to sort of readjust to head in. Yeah, the adjustment is beyond the back stick and, and to get it in, you know, with that accuracy at the near post, I thought it was a fantastic header and we don't see Smodic score many headers. You know, his trademark is, you know, that breakthrough from the last man and, and the cultured and composed finishes that we've seen. So to get a header in those circumstances, I thought it was an excellent finish and and obviously not that you want to hear me say this, Elliot, um, shushing the, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday fans in the process. I thought we were going to get through a whole podcast without you mentioning that bit. Well, there we go. We've got to be open about these things because you've got the bragging rights. So I've got to have something, haven't I, on this one? I wasn't going to bring it up. But yeah, um, yeah, he'd, he'd had a fair bit of stick during the game, which is uh, why he sort of went for that celebration. Um, all, all good fun, really. Uh, a few shouts for <laughs> diving about, but nothing like that. The, the big 
talking point, Ryan, and the big moment in the match was undoubtedly the second goal because Rovers had all the momentum once they'd equalised. They were on top. They looked like the team that were going to win the match. Yondal Thomason obviously had a very strong view on it because he went on and got got sent off, much to my frustration because I've now got a full week to fill a paper with no quotes. So thank you for that, Yond. It's almost like that's not his biggest consideration at the time. (laughs) What a stupid rule, why as well, by the way. Why have the like it I understand probably you don't want managers hot under the collar coming out. Surely you'd be better just saying you've got to wait a minimum of forty five minutes before you speak to the media. something like that, rather than just putting a blanket ban on it. Um fair play to Sam Smodix and Ferroas for putting him up so that someone at least came and spoke to us because no nobody had to. Um so yeah. But yeah, anyway, the goal, um James Hill blocked off grappled with by Callum Patterson as Marvin Johnson enters the area and smashes it across goal. My honest opinion is I think it's a little bit, I think it depends who you support or what your sort of view is as to whether thing. I think if you're a Rovers fan and of a Rovers persuasion, as we are on this podcast, you will think it's definitely a foul. It's a foul anywhere else on the pitch. He's made no attempt to play the ball. And I think all of that is very true. I think if you're a Wednesday fan, you probably sat there going, it's six or one and a half a dozen or the other, which I don't think it is really. I think it's it's a foul, isn't it? But it's probably not an absolute gaff, in my opinion. But it does lead to Hill not being able to go out and shut the ball down, and Johnson getting a free striker goal, and that that does win the game. That that completely does decide the the momentum of the game and, and plays a huge part. So I'm torn between. I I absolutely do think it's a foul, but I think I do. I think some of the reaction is a little bit over the top. The only reason it's not standing out as a gaff is because the league table of gaffs that EFL Championship <laughs> reps a very got. low bar. Uh, exactly that. So it doesn't even pass the Gavin Ward or uh, Keith Stroud test, does it? Uh, it's a foul for me for the thing that you said. There is no attempt from Callum Patterson to play that ball. If he's actively involved in that move, in that play, and he's trying to receive the ball off Johnson or, or whatever, then I think you can make a case for six of one, half a dozen of the other. But Callum Patterson's only objective with what he is doing is to block James Hill. That is obstruction. That's a foul. And Johnson's got a clear path to goal. So for me, that's why it's a foul. I understand what you're saying about the fact that it's not a howler. And again, I just go back to that previous point because we've seen some absolute howlers. It is a foul. I don't want that to be misconstrued. I do think it's a foul. Mm. I don't, yeah, I don't know what point I'm trying to make. It is a foul. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I understand that I do understand the point you're trying to make because it is one of those where you can see the other side more than some of the other gaffes that we've seen. Yeah, I understand that, I the, point the point that you're trying, trying to raise. To I, I totally get where you're going at with that, but for me, I just it's the fact that Patterson is playing no part in that move and has one objective, which is to block James Hill off, and that for me is why it's a foul and it's a game defining moment and it's a big error from from the referee and. The only other thing I'll say, um, I've not seen a, a behind-the-goal view of the hit um, in terms of a replay. I don't know if Walshtek could have saved that chance. I'm not sure. Not it seemed a bit central. I agree with you. Like I haven't seen a replay from behind the goal. You only see that, and there's so many bodies between the ball and Walshtek. It's hard to tell like angle-wise. You, you need something behind the goal. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. You, you, as you say, yeah, you could... the goal angle. I could be being extremely harsh there, so apologies, Leo, if you're listening to this. I've just not seen the behind... But it just looked a bit central. It didn't seem like he'd arrowed it right into the corner. Maybe the I don't pace know. of it beat him a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it's a game-defining moment and one that we absolutely should be furious about. And um, I'm not surprised that JDT went mental about that. And do you know what? I don't mind a bit of passion in that regard from JDT because for me, he is the coolest man on the planet, usually. I'm um, not aware of... Uh, like, like, nothing springs to mind to me of Jon ever being booked before in a technical area. No. He ever has. Exactly. Since I've been covering the club. Well, which is, I suppose, since Jon's been here. Um, yeah. So for him to get sent out, and it was weird because it was a yellow card for protesting and sort of speaking to people around the club who spoke to Jon since. Jon understands why he was booked and that it was probably fair to book him because it was quite an emotional reaction. He probably did speak out of turn, but he's but but there doesn't seem to be that much clarity of why he was then sent off a few moments later because you'd imagine by the fact it was a yellow card and then a straight red, so not two yellows, that he must have been chuntering or saying something like, and the fourth official's picked up on it or something like that. But I think from what I understand, he sort of was trying to get a bit of clarity from the officials after the match. And you do have to wait half an hour before you can speak to them. But the officials said that Jan couldn't speak to them because he'd been sent off, which I'm not sure is, is, is definitely accurate. But So it's interesting to me that, you know, we're recording this at three o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. We're yet to hear from the FA in terms of possible charges because usually they would, you know, you get sent off, you get charged by the FA. Manager usually accepts it. One game touchline, ban. If it's two yellows, you usually get away with a fine. Um, Carlos Corbran was sent off for two yellows in Rovers' opening game of the season at Ewood and he got a fine um, and a warning. So, I didn't see the. It was definitely a straight red. The second yellow didn't come out, but I'd be intrigued to see the referee report in terms of why he was sent off and, and if it was definitely a red card rather than the referee just forgetting to brandish the second yellow, if that makes sense. So I, I don't think mm. it's quite as cut and dry that he is going to miss the Leeds game in terms of a touchline ban. I'll be interested to see if they apply the rule of Erling here, as I'm now calling it. Um, <laughs> because uh, Erling Haaland is obviously breached the rules officially with his reaction to that nonsense on Sunday and I think he's avoided an FA charge probably because they know that they got that decision absolutely wrong so I'll be very interested to see if JDT also avoids any kind of punishment because they know that they got that decision wrong probably not we'll probably miss him for the Leeds game because we know how uh, these things go just a couple of things Elliot just to add on as well and you've reflected on the fact that JDT doesn't usually get booked and react in these ways. And for me, what's telling is JDT has been a striker. He has done some of these things before that Callum Patterson has done. He knows what Callum Patterson is doing in that situation. So uh, I think that's where that strength of reaction comes from because he knows what he's doing. Just the other question for you. um, Had we had a game this midweek, would JDT have missed all the media duties for that because of this? No, it's literally it's only post match that he can't he can't yeah. do okay. it. He's not allowed Fine. to do post match the game. He's allowed like we'll speak to him uh, ahead of Leeds and everything, everything else is it's literally just yeah after the game, which is why I think it's a bit stupid. I understand like the idea is they don't want managers to then get themselves in more hot water or say something they might regret or that sort of side of things, but just put a, put a timer on it. Just say like they can't speak for an hour after the full-time whistle or something like that. It gives them a chance to calm down, go and speak to the officials if they want to, for example, and come in with more clarity. But to completely ban it, it's kind of like refusing a right of reply as well. 
as well as how logistically it is annoying for me, which no one else cares about. I appreciate And unfair to the paying public as well. You know, as fans of your team, you want to hear from your manager. You want to hear their their insight and their view on things and, and all of that. So it's it's complete censorship, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, I don't really get it. As I say, obviously, that was the big moment. That was where the momentum swings. They were slightly unlucky with the third goal in the way that Smodic's shot is, is blocked by Windass and it ricochets perfectly in for him to sprint the length of the pitch and make it 3-1. Ultimately, I think my my appraisal of the game would be, I think a point apiece would have been the fair result because I think there was portions of the game where Wednesday certainly dominated the first 25 minutes, half an hour, no doubt about that. Rovers definitely dominated sort of the, the last 15 of the first half and the first 25 of the second, and the rest was a little bit even. It, it, like in between in pockets of those games. So they both had spells where they were well on top. They both had chances that they didn't convert. I think a draw would have been a fair result, but equally it was the top sort of performance where if Rovers had come away, you'd have been, wow, that's impressive. They've not played at their best and they've got the result. And the fact that Wednesday came away with the win, no one's leaving Hillsborough going, you know, forget the referee results for a minute. No one's coming away on the balance of nine minutes saying Wednesday didn't deserve to win. I think both teams could have justified the victory and a point probably would have been fair. Yeah, um, for me, it's a disappointing but not surprising result for the reasons I said earlier on with the squad depth and, and the injuries that we are carrying and things. But there's just a little niggle that I've got through uh, going through my mind, which is these losses that we've had, you know, these are the ones that should be draws, really. You know, if we do have those aspirations to make the top six and, and be higher up in the table, I know we're seventh at the moment. We lost out on goal difference last season. One more draw would have seen us into the playoff picture. This strikes me as one of those games where your squad's at uh, a really stretched capacity. We're not playing our best. We've got ourselves back into the game at 1-1, albeit we've just reflected on a refereeing decision. But this game, getting a one-all at Hillsborough, seven points in a week, feels like a really good week for Rovers. So we've got to turn some of these losses in this manner, in this nature, into draws. Coventry away is another one of those games where nil-nil would have been a really fair result in my mind. I think we've lost that game one-nil. I think they've been better at it this season than they were last. I think there was more examples last season where they did that. Birmingham, Cardiff, Wigan immediately spring to mind. Coventry, definitely this season. Um, I think the I think the game of the weekend, I think because the refereeing decision had so much of a bearing on it, I wouldn't probably put that mm. in the same category. But you you're absolutely right. Um you know, the Sunderland game that they lost 3-1 was bonkers that they lost that game because they should have been 3-0 up before half-time, never mind drawing it. Um, the Ipswich game, that was a loss that could have been a draw. That probably would fall into that category. The Coventry game should have just been 0-0. You're absolutely right. That 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 is the biggest example this season. Um, and ultimately, you're right. You know, it's tight margins that ultimately dictated it last season. It's going to be small margins this season, we hope. You know, if the injuries sort of let out, obviously we've not spoke about it since we found out about Tyrese Dolan, who's now out for two months. He added to the, he's added to the list. Sigurdsson as well, although hopefully he's not too serious. Travis is at least back at the weekend. With January coming up, it's really important Rovers do everything they can. And I know a lot of it's out of their control at the minute with the situation in India with the Venkis, but they've got to get some bodies in. Oh, we do. Um, I think there's a couple of things we should say, though. Sam Gallagher and Ryan Hedges will feel like new signings instantly uh, when they're back. Are they both projected to be back January? Is that right? So Gallagher 
Gallagher, I don't know, to be honest, because he should have been better. It was initially ruled out for eight weeks. That was would have took into the six weeks, sorry. That would have took into the start of November. Then had a setback. They were sort of hoping he'd be back end of November and in training start December. That hasn't happened. He, he sort of did some running, but he's not joined full training. He could be back end of this month. He could be, but I don't know, basically. I don't think anyone really knows yeah. because he keeps not getting over the next hurdle. Um, Hedges will be more February time, so he'll still be, he's still a good three months probably. Uh, sorry, okay. probably about two months before you see him because it's not just about, you know, it's one thing to have, you know, say someone's out for six weeks, you've then got to factor in coming back into training, playing a few 21s games, being on the bench, and particularly the longer you're out for, the longer that period is. So I don't think we'll see Ryan Hedges start a game for Blackburn Rovers before the end of February. So in that regard, then, you know, with that pessimistic outlook, ultimately, yes, the answer to your question is we're going to need some bodies. Um, I don't know what the state of that cash injection that we've had from from Venkies is and, and what that is going to lead to. But I am assuming that we're going to be shopping in the bargain basement again. We're going to be looking at potential Premier League loans, potential free agents, maybe some movement with Adam Wharton. Who knows? But um it comes down to, Elliot, and I think I touched on this in a, a podcast or two ago, what is the ambition for Rovers this season? Do we want that push for top six with the fact that I think probably 14 teams are probably going for sixth place and then maybe a smaller number are going for fifth place this season? Or are we thinking more longer term, that player trading model and having a real good go, uh, quote-unquote Gary Boria, Um uh, in a different season. I think that's ultimately the decision for the recruitment department, for Greg Broughton. You know, do we stick or twist in this situation? Because, you know, we are looking like we're going to be in this division next season. So what do we do in this situation? I think the thing for me is it's probably a window to look a little bit shorter term than long term, which is not something I'd normally advocate and certainly not the route Rutburn have gone down since Greg Broughton came into the club. But I just think they need some bodies to help people out yeah. because because of the sheer amount of injuries and because you've got people like mm. Adam Wharton who are not used to playing 46 championship games. So he could break down quite easily. You know, you've got players like Hayden Cox played a lot of football in 2023. Um, they've currently mm. got one fullback in each position because JRC is injured. So you've got Britain and Pickering. There's no option to rotate those really unless you're going to put Travis at right back or you're going to put James Hill at right back. I just think that they need some bodies. I, I wrote a little bit this lunchtime about January, sort of what's been said in the fans' forums by Steve Waggert, what Jon said, um, and sort of maybe a bit of a wish list on where Rose would go. I think signing a striker is still the priority because I think even though Sam yeah. has been fantastic, they need a number nine and they need a number nine they can rely on to be available. Sam Gallagher's got plenty of assets, but ultimately he has played very little football this season and continues to yeah. have injury problems through, you know, through no fault of his own player doesn't want to be injured, but that is a matter of fact. Same with Niall Ennis, you know, we're in the second week of December nearly and he's not started a championship game yet. Samir Talelovic has not started a championship game yet because clearly Jon doesn't think he's up to the levels. So maybe if Talelovic, there was a low move potentially and they can get another striker in because bodies wise, they're okay. They've got four centre forwards, but two of them are, been injured for most of the season. One of them's a very young lad in Harry Leonard, who dessert needs minutes and you know is, is coming along great, but isn't can't you can't hang your hat on him firing Rovers into the playoffs. And Telelovic, Jon 
clearly hasn't seen enough at this moment in time to give him a consistent run in the championship. So that would be my starting point. I think they need a player that's versatile in defence, that can cover right back, left back, basically a, a worse version of JRC, basically someone who can give them a bit of cover for rotation so you're not having to put Travis at right back, not having to move Britain from right wing to left back to right back all over again. Um, and then, yeah, I think those, those are probably the two priorities I'd start with. Certainly, Oh, the right wing and right wing probably would be the third one, I'd say, because it's been a problem position all season, particularly since Hedges got injured. Marconde's not really cemented his place there. Britain, I think we've seen this week that he he's played on the left for some reason, which has been really strange. I don't know why he's playing on the left wing, because every time he gets the ball, he has to cut inside. I know why they did it against Stoke, because they wanted to, him to mark Hoover, basically. Fine. But he looked clunky and a bit awkward against Birmingham, a team where you're at home and expected to win. And that's clearly shown by the fact he got moved to right back and Sigurdsson came on at halftime on Wednesday. And then on Saturday, I thought he had his poorest game of the season because he's just not he's just not a natural attacker in the sense of playing as an inverted forward. That's just not... It's so hard to do that. It's one thing being able to use your left foot in a defensive sense, playing at left back. But being able to do it in an attacking movement and a fluid um, fluid style of play where you're trying to you know, create half a yard and get a shot away, it's a very different skill. So I think playing on the right wing for Callum Britton and playing on the left wing, I just don't see that as a, an option on the left. Moran mm. can play on the right. I don't think it's his best role. I think he's better off the left or centrally. So I still think the right wing is a, is a bit of a... It's, it, don't get me wrong, it'd be right at the bottom of that pecking list. But I also think if you're being greedy and summit changes, I think striker, utility man that can cover in defence and then probably a little bit more on the wing, on the right-hand side. Yeah, I'd agree with those two options um, and, and what you said there. And, and ultimately, we're being found out you know, with the lack of options that we've got because those positions you were just reflecting on, if Ryan Hedges in particular is available, then he's filling one of those and... For me, I think Dylan Markande has, has not hit any heights this season and, and not done the things that, that maybe Jan was expecting him to do. So I'd agree with that ass- assessment. Um, I think, yeah, ultimately one of those right-wing positions is lower down the, uh, the pecking order, but someone who we were linked with previously, Raksaki at, at Crystal Palace, you know, I'd jump at the chance for someone like definitely. him to to come into into this forward line, definitely. Um I think maybe we need to try and take advantage of, of what's going on in the Premier League here because there'll be clubs that will know whether they're in a relegation battle or not. There'll be clubs that then will decide whether they're going to spend some money to try and avoid relegation or not. Then what might pop out of that are players that don't make those 25-man squads, players that haven't had a chance this season, that hopefully Rovers, you know, if they're willing to pay a bit no, of a loan funny. fee, probably, might be willing. probably a few Burnley players that fall under that category, but that's just not going well, yeah. to happen. Can't see Matt well, Benson turning up at Ewood Park anytime soon. No, definitely not. And that's a question for Rovers fans to ultimately satisfy themselves with. You know, would you be happy for a decent Burnley player to arrive on loan? You know, we've all got to swallow our pride in that sense, haven't we? But, you know, you look at the likes of Bournemouth, at Luton, um, Nottingham Forest. Maybe Sheffield United. United, now Chris Wilder's in. Yeah, you know, there will be players out there at those types of clubs that aren't making the 25-man squads that I think we should put inquiries in for and, and see what the art of the possible is because Rovers have held themselves up to be a very good club for loaning players too. And if that can be a mutually beneficial experience, particularly for younger players, then, you know, that's an avenue that I think we should explore. Um, more permanent signings, 
I'm probably more pessimistic about that in January, whether we're going to be able to do that. No, it feels like summer for me and it feels like all roads lead to Adam Wharton in that sense. You know, what money are we potentially getting at whatever point that is for Adam Wharton? Yeah, I think those are all fair points. It'd be interesting to get Blackburn Rovers fans thought so feel free to tweet myself and Ryan or tweet us at Blackburn Rovers we'll have get good to get your views on that and, and January coming up next up Leeds United at home obviously not an easy game Leeds are flying at the moment they're unbeaten in six they've won five of those games third in the table averaging two points per game which usually gets you automatically promoted in the championship Early kickoff at Ewood because of the police there's going to be over 7,000 in that away end it's going to be sold out packed out Tough opponent for Rovers, but at least they've had a free week and fingers crossed they obviously don't pick up any knocks between now and the weekend. Yeah, it's just uh, imagine not imagine going around the training ground wrapped in bubble wrap, like playing in them Zorb. <laughs> I think they should do training in the big Zorbs this week. Yeah, I'm all for that. Um, I mean, in terms of availability-wise, Elliot, is it only Lewis Travis coming back into the squad that we're expecting? Yeah, Travis will be back from suspension. Maybe Sigurdsson. Um, as I said, as I said earlier on the podcast, the hope is that that's not too serious. But I can't, I can't give any sort of detail really, apart from that, without speaking to Jon, which we obviously couldn't do. So we'll find out a little bit more about that on Thursday or Friday. So maybe Sigurdsson, definitely Travis. That's that's kind of it. The rest are all mid to sort of late December or beyond. If I reflect on the last month or so um, and all the threads that we've been pulling on over this podcast over the last few weeks, um, the home form and the way we've been playing at home, which has been a bit strange and, and not imposing ourselves, um, obviously the squad depth and, and the injuries that we've been carrying, um, it's pointing to a really tough assignment for me uh, on Saturday. I think it's going to be a really, really tough game. Leeds love coming to Ewood Park. Uh, they always do because of the Darwin end that they get. We've had some good results over them in, in some years, but you know it's it's one that they look forward to. And why wouldn't they on Saturday with the form that they're in? And, and they will spot the opportunity to hurt Rovers. And it's one of those games that with the lack of our options off the bench and with the options that they would have off the bench, it's a game that they can afford to be patient in. It's a game that can afford to stamp the authority in uh, at the right point in that game, particularly if they're shooting towards that Darwin end. So I honestly feel it's going to be a really, really tough ask for Rovers to win this game on Saturday. Um, I would, of course, love to be proved wrong. I always love getting one over on Leeds when they bring so many fans. I know some fans don't like it, but personally, if we're not selling those seats, let's shut up 7,000 fans who are I, in the I Darwin end. I like, You want an atmosphere. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. And I've been there when we've beaten Leeds at home and, and they've had all the fans and I don't mind it. I think it creates a great footballing spectacle and fair play to Leeds for, for bringing the fans that they do and the other clubs that do it as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a tough game, though. It's going to be a tough one, Elliot. And one where if we are passive, if we do lose our way um, in that first half, like we have done against Swansea and against Birmingham, um, and we also did that in the second half against Birmingham. It's a game that we will be punished in, like plain and simple. We will be punished. Yeah, you're right. Leeds love playing in transition as well. They've got so much pace and the fluidity of their forward line with uh, Ruter up front, Joel Perot in the 10, Somerville on the left, who's been so good this season, and uh, Dan James on the right-hand side. There's uh, There's plenty there to be concerned about, but... You know, Leeds also concede goals. Like there is, there is a chance for Rovers to hurt them. You saw at the weekend Middlesbrough going to Ellen Road and scoring twice, and Leeds have won the last seven at home as well. So 
They're, they're not impenetrable. In, in I just about got that out. Um, but they are incredibly dangerous on the counter-attack and in transition. So Rovers are going to have to make the right decisions on the ball, not give it away in the wrong areas, or they will get punished. In terms of the starting eleven, as we've said, there's not a lot of different squad-wise. I know we've spoken about how tired, you know, the tired performance at Hillsborough, but I don't really think you can. There's any change, obvious changes to make. You probably go the same and hope the week off helps the team. Maybe you get Travis mm. in the midfield instead of. I don't know. It's who does he come in for? Really, I, I thought Tronstad was probably as poor as he's been in terms of recently at the weekend, but I'm not sure it was enough to drop him. So I'll probably go same again. To be honest. I think you have to, in an ideal world, I would want um, to rectify what you were talking about with Callum Britton on that left-hand side. But with the players that we've got available, I don't think we can I think rectify swapping that. swapping them over would help. Like, just put more yeah. on the left and Britton on the right. That's worked pretty well in mm. the games beforehand. Yeah, but shape-wise, we have to keep it the same because we have to get the best out of Sam Smodic whilst he's in the form of his life. So don't be shifting Sam Smodic out on the left or anything like that. Let's keep mm. the formation the same. I do actually think it would be a good game for Lewis Travis. I think he likes these occasions. I think he'll be chomping at the bit after his suspension. He'll Can be I make fresh. A prediction? Well. I think mm. I think Leonard will come out and I think Travis will come in and I think Smodix will play as a false nine. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out now. I think it'll be Smodix up front. I wouldn't do this mm. by the way, but I'm gonna predict now that it'll be Travis, Tronstad and Wharton as the midfield three. Um and then it'll be Smodix. On up front on, as a false nine with um, Morin and probably Britain, yeah. I would hate that if that happened because I've seen Bradley Dack been used as a, a false nine before and really stunt what he's about. And I think Smodic as that natural false nine, the furthest man forward, etc., etc. Better running from those me. deep runs. That- Exactly. So I think we completely stunt that. So I would hate it if we did that. And I'd just love to see Leonard from the start in that sense. But I can absolutely see why you would make that point because I do think this is a game for Lewis Travis. I really do. I think this is the occasion for him. And as we've just been reflecting on, it's it's a freshened body in, in the middle. Who knows? He might throw a curveball and just reflect on all the Adam Wharton stuff we've been talking about and mm. start Wharton on the bench. Who knows? I personally wouldn't do that. I just, I just a think against back. a team like Leeds, I don't see him doing that because Adam is the best at taking mm-hmm. the ball under pressure, and Leeds will press them hard. Yeah. So I, I don't think that he, yeah. I don't, I don't because of the opposition particularly. I don't think he'll do that. But I, I take the point yeah. in terms of freshness. Yeah, but I think ultimately you and I are, are really stretching out a discussion here over what really is going to be the same side, isn't it? Let's Probably. just, you know, I think it will be. But I think the only two possibles are, as you say, Leonard and. Um, doing something with Adam Wharton. I think they are literally the only two possibles just with who we've got available. I think Pat Gamble's going to play at centre-back. No, no, I don't. I'm just, just <laughs> chucking, in, chucking in something else. To, <laughs> don't, you scared me then. No, um, yeah, hopefully the bench will look slightly less youthful with at least Travis and maybe Sigurdsson coming back into the squad. Fingers crossed. It should be a good game regardless, early kickoff. So hopefully that... The fans will will help lift the atmosphere because it can be a little bit. Um, everyone can sort of be a bit prawn sandwich brigade when it's an early kick kickoff, can't they? Um, across the mm. country, that is not Ewood Park specifically. But yeah, I think that rounds off all the major talking points. Thank you for listening as always. Make sure you are subscribed to the Arte Labore podcast in your app of choice, and make sure you follow the Lancashire Telegraph at Blackburn Rovers. Yes, Ryan. Are we doing a prediction? 
I always forget to do that. Always forget to do that. Yes, Ryan, would you like to make a prediction? <laughs> and then you can do all your advertising again afterwards. No, I don't want to do a prediction because I'm predicting us to lose. So um, <laughs> I don't actually That's to get it in. Yeah, sorry. I should. Yeah, that does make me appear desperate to predict us to lose. So I do apologise, Rovers fans. That's really bad, isn't it? But uh, it's a game where I think we're going to be at arm's length. Elliot is essentially my take on it. I think Leeds will be in control of this game fairly throughout and. If it's nil-nil at half-time, I don't think they'll be bothered by that. And those Leeds fans will probably suck it into the net at the Darwin end. So I can see two nil leads. I think Rose will score, but I concur that they will lose. So I'm going for Blackburn 1, Leeds United 2, which would be disappointing. But Leeds are a very good side and I, I, the squad's so stretched at the minute. I don't really. And we need to target it. the Bristol City game for me because um, winnable, Southampton... Yeah. Yeah, we've got Southampton away, obviously, um, the weekend after Leeds. So Bristol City is obviously out of those three fixtures. That's going to be the one that I think we should be targeting. Long old day. I've not been to St. Mary's, though. At least it's a ground tick. Mm, Mm. Me neither. And I will also be ticking it off. Ooh, lovely stuff. Um, Yeah, so as I was saying, thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed. (laughs) Uh, And you can also subscribe to Lancashire Telegraph to support local journalism. You'll get a better reading experience with fewer ads on our ad-free app. And there'll be plenty of subscriber-only content and plenty more perks. If you are so inclined, go to lancashiretelegraph.co.uk forward slash subscribe for £3 for three months or an annual subscription for £31, a whopping 40% off, seen as it's nearly Christmas. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Arte Labore. 